All right, book of James this evening. James chapter number four. We're going to look at the first five verses here of James chapter number four. And speak about the topic this evening wars and fightings. James chapter number 4, verse number 1, he says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Wars and fightings. And as I said at the opening of the service. It's not really a a rah-rah encouraging message this evening from James, but this is something that is a reality in our fallen world. The first thing that we'll notice this evening, incidentally, is the reality of strife. The reality of strife. In verse number one, James gives us a reminder that strife does exist. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you. Strife, wars and fightings are a reality, even among believers. We'll be reminded that James here is writing to those believers who were members of the church in Jerusalem. These are those that were in the church there at Jerusalem, and they have fled due to persecution. They have gone to the the corners of the earth They've been scattered abroad. And apparently, they had a problem. James is writing very pointedly here, and he says, guys, where are these wars and fightings coming from? He's pretty plain there. Wars and fightings. You think about war. War is a a big deal. War is a large fight. It's, it's a fight that encompasses nations, that encompasses, you know, you think of World War I, World War II, you know, that encompassed many, many nations. It was fought on many continents, even. War is a, a big thing. And so you can think of war here. Apparently, there weren't just little personal fights and spats that were going on among these believers, but rather James refers to it as war. That sounds fairly serious. You think of war. War is a strategic fight. You have two sides, and they are pitting themselves one against the other, and they're using strategy. They're using their best minds to come up with, you know, how can we win this fight? A war. He then says not only wars, from whence come wars and fightings. Fightings are smaller, more momentary events. But James points out here in the text that both wars and fightings were being found 
among the believers of his day. If we look back in chapter number 3, we looked at this passage a few weeks ago now, but in chapter number 3, verse number 10, writing to the same brethren, he says, Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. James is writing to believers here. There shouldn't be wars and fightings. He, He shouldn't have to write this, but... It was a reality. Rather than exemplifying the wisdom from above, I don't know if if you remember back to that message, we talked about wisdom. And, you know, these these brethren, they were not accusing themselves. That's not the word I'm looking for. They were building themselves up. They They were coming, saying, hey, we're wise. We have wisdom from God. But yet James was saying that they had wisdom, but it it wasn't from God. Their wisdom was uh, not from above, verse 15 of chapter 3, but earthly, sensual, devilish. From where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So James is, he's being pretty pointed with these folks. Apparently, they had some problems with strife. They had some problems with saying that they were living, they were acting according to the wisdom of God, but rather they are acting as the world does. They were sowing strife. There was wars and fightings among them. And really, that's an attitude that's a mark of the attitude of the world. James points that out here in the passage. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members." But you know, brethren, this evening we can look at this passage, we can think about the fact that these believers, they had a problem with wars and fightings, how terrible of them. But if it was a problem for them, if it was a problem for folks who were so close to Jesus Christ, folks who were being taught by the very apostles of God, is it not a problem that you and I might also find ourselves falling prey to? having wars and fightings amongst ourselves, strife. It is still a problem today that churches have. It is still a problem that families today have. Really, it's a a problem that all men, all human beings have in our relationships with one another. If we're not careful, Satan is really good at getting us into the habit of having wars and fightings. So we see, first of all, this evening, the reality of strife. But then second of all, we'll see the source of strife. The source of strife. You'll notice there at the end of verse number one, he asks the question in the beginning, where, where do these come from? And he answers his own question with another question. Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members. The strife that they are experiencing is coming from their sin nature. It's coming from them. They're warring and fighting with one another, and James says, guys, it's your sin problem. It's your lust that is fighting amongst each other. It it wars in your members, in your own body. 
You know, it is in vogue in our society to be a, a victim. I, I don't know, maybe it's been a problem for all of time. But it seems like more and more, our society, it's, it's considered honorable. It's considered um, you get some benefits from being a victim. And so everyone wants to identify as a victim class. They want to talk about how victimized they are and how they fall in some minority and now they deserve compensation or they deserve some kind of benefits to come their way because they are a victim. You know, most people, when they think about wars, fightings, and strife, they think that they're the victim when it comes to these things. I mean, just, just think about work, right? You think about coworkers and the things that you hear coworkers say about the problems at work. Have you ever heard a coworker say, you know what? The reason why we have all this strife around here, people fighting and bickering, it's me. It's my sin nature. Have you ever heard a coworker say that? Oh, no. No, they always say, you know, if Billy over there would just cool it, if he would stop being such a jerk, then we wouldn't have all the problems around here. You know, if Bob the manager would get his act together, then we wouldn't have all the problems around here that we do. It's always somebody else's fault and somebody else's problem. But James says, no. Now come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? James points out that the source of these kind of things, the source of strife is lust that wars in our members. When we think about that word lust, lust is defined as longing desire, eagerness to possess or enjoy, as the lust of gain, concupiscence, carnal appetite, unlawful desire of carnal pleasure. So, you see, lust can, it can encompass all sorts of things. Lust covers a broad spectrum. It can be unlawful desires of carnal pleasures. Lust can also be an evil propensity, depraved affections and desires. But really, lust can be any desire, even good desires, even desires for good things that get out of bounds, that go beyond what they should be, that receive undue attention. You know, we can have lust... For food. You know, food is a good thing. I'm happy that food is a good thing. I like eating. And I like eating good tasting food. But, you know, food can easily become something that we lust after. It can become something that gets out of bounds. Sleep. Sleep is a good thing. I like sleeping. I like waking up in the morning and feeling rested. But, you know... Sleep is also something that can become a lust. It's something, God has designed our bodies to sleep. And you know, sometimes it's frustrating. When you have a schedule that you want to keep and you have things that you want to get done, sometimes it's frustrating. You feel like, man, I, just, I wish I didn't have to sleep so much. But sleep is good, but it can get out of bounds. If we begin to give undue attention to sleep, the book of Proverbs is full of verses that talk about the sluggard. Right? We're, we're familiar with the idea that even desires for good things can get out of bounds. They can become lusts. 
And James points out that these lusts are warring in our members within our bodies. It is a note of it is of note that James refers to these as warring. You know, as a child of God, we ought to be warring against these things. We ought to be fighting against these things being there. If there is no warring in your flesh, then you have a problem. If, if you're just giving up and you're saying, well, okay, I'll just let these, these lusts roll all over me. It's fine. I don't need to fight against them. Just embrace them. Oh, that, that ought to set off some alarm bells in your mind. That ought to make you question and say, oh, am I really a child of God? He does say here that these lusts are warring in their members. We remember that James here is writing to believers. They're believers, but in a lot of ways, they're acting just like the world. But James does point out that they are warring in their members. The Spirit of God is there in their hearts, and he's telling them, hey, that's not okay. But you know, if, if there is no war, there's a problem there. So we've seen the reality of strife. We've seen the source of strife. And then last of all this evening, we're going to look at the result of strife, but don't get too excited. The last point is a whole lot longer than the first two. The result of strife. I won't keep you here too late. Don't worry. Notice the progression that James gives us here in the passage. What happens because of this strife? Verse number 2, he says, Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So we notice the progression there. He starts out in verse number two. He says, ye lust and have not. James says that they were allowing lust in their hearts. They were allowing lust a place, a position. They were allowing it to dwell there. They were dwelling on these lusts. They were allowing them to grow. They were not warring against them as they ought to be. They were not fighting against this sin in their hearts in the way that they should have been. They lust and have not. You know, lust is desire. It, desire out of bounds, but ultimately it's desire. So here they are. James says, ye lust. They're desiring after these things. They're wanting these things, and it's causing strife. But you'll notice the result of their desire. Ye lust, and what? Have not. So they, they've got extreme desire. It's out of bounds. It's taking over. It's causing strife, causing a fight. But did they get what they want in the end? No. James says, for all of that, ye have not. You, you didn't get what you wanted. Their lust did not bring about the satisfaction that they had desired. You know, really, that's, a, that's true of all of our sin. Satan comes and he, he holds up the fruit of sin before us and he says, Oh, yeah, if, if you indulge in this, if you follow after this, if you allow this, you're going to get what you want. 
It's going to be great. Does that ever really happen, though? Are you ever satisfied? Do you ever really get what you want? No. You know, Adam and Eve, they had everything. Literally. They had everything that they could want. Satan came and he said, Oh, look. Now, they didn't, they didn't really want that. Not if they stopped and considered. If they weighed the truth against what Satan was telling them, they didn't want that. It was going to end in death. God had promised that to them. But what did they do? Oh, let me go for it. Satan said it'll be great. Yeah, people still do the same thing today. But you know the truth is, lust never pays what it promises. Whether it be indulging in an attitude, indulging in actions, indulging in pursuits, it never pays what it promises. So these folks, they lusted and they had not. Their flesh told them the lie that their lust would bring about pleasure, satisfaction. James says they didn't get it. So they ratcheted it up from there. Next in the verse, because they didn't get what they wanted from lust, he says, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Now that progressed pretty fast. Now they're killing? It sounds a little extreme. James says that they'd gone from lusting to killing because of the intensity of their desires. Now, let me temper this. I don't think James is literally saying that the believers that had been members in the church of Jerusalem were running around knocking each other off because of out-of-control desires. I don't think they were running around with swords sticking each other. I think James is, is using some, some exaggeration here. Just like in the beginning of the passage, he talks about wars and fightings. I don't, I don't think they were literal wars. Like, I don't think the church at Colossae was fighting against the church at Ephesus in literal battle. I don't think they were arraying on a battlefield with swords and spears and shields and they were going to war. Or people were showing up at church and, you know, one half of the church, brother, you're outnumbered. <laughs> one side of the church is warring against the other side, you know? I don't think that literally they were fighting each other. James is using some word picture here to talk about the seriousness of what they were doing. How bad it was. Their, their attitudes and their actions and their words towards one another. James says you're, you're killing each other. James points out that they were killing one another. They were so wrapped up in their lusts that they were willing to pursue them at any cost. If you stop and think about the tongue, which, right, what has James just been talking about in the previous passage, the previous chapter? We just walked through several verses about James speaking of the tongue and the damage that the tongue does. I don't think it's any mistake that we get to chapter number four now after what he has spoken about, the tongue. You think about the damage that is done in families. When desires get out of bounds. You think about the damage that is done in families by words. The words that family members exchange with one another. The words that husbands and wives exchange with one another in front of their children. As passions flame, 
And the words get louder and bigger. You think of the damage that is done amongst folks that are to love one another. You think about the damage that is done in a church when people's tongues begin to wag. When people get out of sorts and they think of, oh, well, I didn't get what I wanted in this situation. And they begin to talk and talk. And you get warring factions. Well, think of the damage that is done. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. James has just been talking about the tongue and the irreparable damage that an out-of-control tongue can do. If you turn over to Galatians, hold your, your place here, Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians 5 and verse number 14, Paul says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So that's the attitude that we are to have toward one another. We are to love each other as we love ourselves. That's a pretty big commandment. I love myself a lot. I make sure that I am well cared for. But I am to love you. I am to love others as I love myself. But notice in verse number 15, Paul says, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Now, Paul's not speaking of physical cannibalism here. What he's speaking of is words. He's talking about the fact that if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. When we begin picking at one another and biting and devouring with our words, pretty soon it ends badly for everyone. James here is speaking of the same kind of thing. Extreme actions that come from out-of-control desires. Ye kill and desire to have... And you'll notice the end of that, once again, cannot obtain. Ye lost and ye have not. So you ratchet it up a little bit. You kill, you desire to have, and you still can't get it. You cannot obtain. You know, when people give in to the flesh, when they give in to the words of the flesh, when they give in to arguments and biting and devouring one another, what happens? Oh, they don't get what they want. Not ultimately. Destruction is what happens. They're consumed one of another. James goes on, though, in verse number two, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. James points out now that they were fighting and warring. They were trying to obtain things that they didn't have because they wouldn't ask. They wouldn't ask. They wouldn't come to God in prayer. They wouldn't come to God and ask for this situation to be resolved according to the way that He would have it resolved. Rather, they said, you know what? I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I think that this is so important. I think that this is the way it ought to be, and so I'm going to do whatever I have to to get it done. 
And James says that they didn't, they didn't get it. They wouldn't ask God for it. You know, it's a good filter if you won't ask God for something. If you can't ask God for something, if you're ashamed or embarrassed to bring it before God in prayer, you probably don't need that. It's probably a good filter to say, hey, you know, something's wrong here. If I can't bring this before God in prayer and ask Him to, to help in this situation, to give me what I want here, maybe I don't need it. These believers thought that the best way to get the things that they wanted was to fight and to war. They thought that the best way to get what they wanted, the thing that they, think, that they thought needed to happen, was to lean upon the fleshly means that are in their control. And they refused to go to God. Why? Well, because if I take the problem to God, I'm admitting that I don't have any control over the situation. I have to take my hands off of it if I'm going to take it to God. If I'm going to pray about a situation and say, God, I need you to sort this out. I need you to work in this situation. That requires some humility. You know, how often is this the response of people today, especially in the closest relationships that we have? Husbands and wives can easily descend into this kind of madness, fighting and warring with one another, biting and devouring. And oh, the damage that it does. James goes on in verse number three. He says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Not only will lust unchecked cause you not to ask God for things, and rather to fight to try to obtain them, it will also cause you to ask for things that you don't really need. You know, sometimes we can come to God in prayer asking for things that we don't belong asking for. Oh, that it would just stop there. That we would recognize that God hasn't given us the things that we ask for because we're asking amiss. That we may consume them upon our lusts. Sadly, that's not what happens so often. What James is describing is those that instead of viewing it properly that way, they get mad at God. They continue to fight. They continue to war to get what they need. They begin to view God as somehow keeping them from something that they need. They say, well, God hasn't answered my prayer in this situation, so I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to fix it. Never stopping to say, well, wait. Maybe God has answered, just not in the way that I wanted. Maybe God's not giving me this for my good. James goes on then in verse number 4, and he says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses. That's really strong language. James is accusing them of being unfaithful to marriage vows. He's saying that by their actions, they're committing spiritual adultery. He's not speaking physically here, but he's saying, ye adulterers and adulteresses. He's saying, you, you're committing spiritual adultery when it comes to your relationship with God. 
He tells them, there in verse number 4, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is, the, is enmity with God. They're claiming to be the children of God. They're claiming that they're following after God. They're claiming that God is their father. And James says that they're living in spiritual adultery. They're living as the enemy of God. You know, adultery is one of the worst displays of physical selfishness that we can conceive of. It's terrible. Adultery is selfishness at its worst. It's the height, the end, the extent of selfishness. But James points out that when we fight, when we war with one another, it is because of our lusts. It's because of our out-of-control desires. Strife comes about because of selfishness. You know, if there's not selfishness, if there's not pride in the midst of a relationship, then there can't be strife. If, if you're in a relationship with someone else, a husband and a wife, for example, right? And there is no pride or selfishness in either of those people, then there's not going to be strife. What, what is strife? What are arguments about? Oh, well, it's about pride. It's about selfishness. If there's no pride and selfishness, there's no strife. It's rooted in, the, in pride, in the thought that I know best that God is withholding something from me. That life would be better if this person would get their act together. If they would give me what I want. If they would let me. James says that this attitude, this kind of strife that's rooted in pride, can be summed up in this title, that it is friendship of the world. Friendship of the world. And he goes on to say that being this kind of person, being a friend of the world, is to be the enemy of God. Now, it's careful to note here, James is not speaking about being friends with people who are in the world. He's not saying that if you and I, you know, make acquaintances with somebody at the gas station and we're friendly with them, that that's being the enemy of God. Obviously. Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth, he was the friend of publicans and sinners. We, we talked about that some this morning. You know, Jesus came to this impotent man. He came to someone who was an outcast of society. Someone that the religious leaders would have nothing to do with because of his physical disabilities. Jesus came to him. He was a friend to that man. But Jesus didn't leave the publicans and the sinners as they were. Jesus didn't befriend them and become like them. Jesus didn't befriend them and turn a blind eye to their actions. But rather, Jesus came. He befriended them for the purpose of bringing them to him of changing their lives, of not leaving them in bondage to their sin. James here is talking about how to be the friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. Friendship of the world is aligning ourselves with the system, with the way of acting that the world has, the way of sorting out problems that the world has. When you and I give in to wars and fightings, when we lust and have not, we kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, 
We fight and war and have not because we ask not. We ask and receive, receive not because we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our lusts. That's being the friend of the world. That's using the world's means to try to get righteous and godly ends. James says we're the enemy of God. When, when we as God's children try to use the world's means even to get good ends, James says it's wrong. It's being the enemy of God. Ultimately, the root of the problem that James is talking about is a problem with one's own relationship with God. You know, when your relationship with God is not right, when you are looking to the, the wisdom, looking to the systems of this world to fill the hole in your heart, you will not find fulfillment. Just as Adam and Eve did not, they committed spiritual adultery. They believed that God was withholding from them that which was best, that which was desirable. And you and I, if we're not careful, if our relationship with God is not what it should be, then the problems of this life, the things that come along, can catch us off guard. They can get us out of sort, and if we're not careful, we can begin to give in to the world system. We can begin to believe, hey, you know, God, God's withholding something from me. I need this. I can't be happy unless this gets fixed, unless this problem goes away. I can't rather than coming to God and resting in His control. Resting in the fact that He knows that He has it. That if He hasn't given something to me, then maybe it's not what I need. James says that they were the enemies of God by being the friend of the world. Then last of all, in verse number 5, he says, Do ye think... That the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. James once again, James stresses to us once again, the end of allowing the old man to reign. The end of giving in to the lusts of our heart. You'll notice what he says there. The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. It lusteth to envy. Envy, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but envy is to feel uneasiness, mortification, discontent, at the sight of superior excellence, reputation, or happiness enjoyed by another, to repine at another's prosperity, to fret, or grieve oneself at the real or supposed superiority of another, and to hate him on that account. Envy literally means to see against. And we're all familiar with what envy is. Envy can often, in relationships, it can often play itself out in the attitudes that we have toward one another. If you begin to have envy against someone else, maybe a coworker, let's say, 
when you get to work and you see that coworker has a, a group of people gathered around them. People seem to be happy to talk to them. Now, there's a little part inside of you that says, well, what about me? I'm better than them. Why aren't those people coming and talking to me? I know more than that person. That person's terrible. They ought not to be talking to them. Or they get a promotion at work. And you, there's a little part inside of you. You wouldn't say this out loud, right? We know better. But there's a little part inside of you that says, well, what about me? I deserve that promotion. I should have had that. They, they looked past me. Oh, they're, they're just playing favorites at work. They like that guy more than me. You know, envy is subtle. Envy plays itself out in all different kinds of relationships, and if we're not careful, envy can begin to creep in even into the church body. And someone will come in and we'll say, well, they, more people shook their hands faster than mine. I got ignored. I came in and no one said hi to me today. And if we're not careful, we can begin to develop a spirit of bitterness, a spirit of envy towards others. And what is that? It's out of control lust. It's, it's looking into the situations of life and it's saying, well, oh, maybe this is what's happening. It's running to the worst conclusions. You know, at the end of the day, if you come in here and someone snubs you, someone doesn't shake your hand because they're mad at you and they don't like you, you know what we ought to do as brethren? We ought to cover it in love. We ought to say, well, you know what? Maybe they were having a bad day. We ought to... Forget that offense, and instead love that person. But you know, if we're not careful, we can begin to bite and devour. We can allow wars and fightings. James says here, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. Lust, out of controlled desires, brings about envy. Envy brings about enmity. We'll look at others as if they are our enemy. And we can begin to treat each other as enemies. Say, well, they're against me. I'm against them. And we can begin to fight and to war. And if we're not careful, we will allow this kind of a spirit to live in us, to dwell within us. And you and I will be like those that James is writing to. And if we're not careful... If we allow this kind of spirit to dwell, if we give place to the devil, if we allow these kind of attitudes and thoughts and we begin to follow after fleshly responses and become the enemy of God in that way, if we're not careful, it will affect our workplace. It'll affect our testimony. It'll affect our relationships with our coworkers. If we're not careful, it will affect our family. It will affect the way that we treat one another. And if we're not careful, it will affect our church. We'll bite and devour. And in the end, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. You know, brethren... If you feel that someone slighted you, if you feel that someone has wronged you, if you feel that someone has a bad attitude against you, you feel that there's a problem that needs sorted out, instead of giving in to the world's methods, instead of biting and devouring, instead of fighting and warring, take it to God. 
Take it to Him. Give it over to Him. Humble yourself before Him. Love one another as we ought to. And let God sort it out. He's really good at it. He's really good at sorting it out in a way that's best. You know, if you've ever been able to step back, to divorce your flesh from the situation, from the problem, and let God handle a situation, haven't you gotten to the end of that thing and looked back and said, wow, God, how did you do that? That's amazing. It, it turned out so much better than I ever anticipated it could. Look at what you've done, God. But you know, if, if you and I, we get in there and we meddle and we begin to fight in war, what happens? Well, you get to the end and you say, Whoa, what a mess. Look at all the destruction. And I didn't even get what I wanted to get. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is the enmity of God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? I'm looking forward to the next time we come to the book of James. The next time we get to, to look at this passage, verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will, he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Some good promises there. I'm looking forward to it this night, or this message this evening. It hasn't been encouraging, but you know, it's where we live. It's the reality. The believers there in Jerusalem that had scattered, they dealt with it. And you and I, we deal with the same kind of things tonight. Be careful with your attitudes the lusts, the desires that you allow to live in your heart, that they don't turn into wars and fighting.